0: Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Claire Willis. Claire is a clinical social worker who's worked in the fields of oncology and bereavement for more than 20 years. She's the author of two books, one of which is Opening to Grief, Finding Your Way from
1: Loss to Peace.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Claire. I'm delighted to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So we're all collectively and individually going through some loss of multiple kinds right now during this pandemic. And there's a grief that I think we maybe haven't explored enough. Um, that's my supposition. I'd love to hear what you think, but can you tell us more about how do we respond to loss and, and is it something that, that we deal with well, or is it is it something that we really need to focus more attention on?
1: Well, you know, that's such a great question. Um, I think that the pandemic has brought grief and loss into mainstream media and into conversations mm. and we've be- begun to think and talk a little bit about nuances of loss it, you you can read about loss and grief in the New York Times you can read about it in the Atlantic and so yeah. it's it's relatively new and and I think that's been one of the good things that's emerged from um the pandemic. it's brought the the conversation out um I think David Brooks wrote a very interesting article in the New York Times back in April when the pandemic first hit. And he, he wrote, he, he sent, a, a, he had, a, a, I guess, a, a column in which he asked people how they were managing at the very beginning. And he got 5,000 replies within minutes. Wow, really. <laughs> and what he s- discovered was that he said, there's a river of woe flowing mm-hmm. through our culture. Wow. And I love that because first of all, it legitimizes what people feel. Hmm. I think the, the thing that, that calls me about this work is that there's a common understanding that, that grief is usually presents itself with sorrow and sadness, but grief has so many presentations. It has the presentation of anger, which is a very common one because it gives people a false sense of agency. Yeah. Rather than feel the helplessness or the hopelessness, they can sometimes accompany um, uh, grief. It, it gives people a sense of being strong. Yeah. So there's it's- anger, there's irritability, there's impatience, there's regret. There's uh, anxiety is a big one and fear. And there's also gratitude and there's relief and there's uh, numbness. So the word grief is an umbrella word for a lot of um, different feelings, which people may not recognize as grief. So I think one of the things the pandemic has done is that it's it's given us language when we recognize these other feelings as possible expressions of grief and it normalizes what many of us are feeling.
0: Well, you mentioned anger, and I I really see that as kind of grief gone sideways, in the sense yeah. of not really wanting to deal with, as you said, the the vulnerability and the the uh, sense of helpless helplessness, and and it comes out in a a strong way that feels somehow yeah. enlivening, but uh, is not really particularly constructive. We're seeing it a lot, and we we see it a lot in public arenas and
1: well, in politics, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to look far. And I, yeah. I often, regardless of what one's political leanings are, I often look at one of our leaders, and I think whatever happened to this man mm-hmm. as a child, yeah. that he acts this way. And it's not about whether I agree with his policies, but the the chronic rage and the chronic anger, I I look at as misplaced grief.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a deep insight. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned uh, gratitude as part of what people experience with grief. And I, I, I mean, I can see release and gratitude being part of if if you have a loved one who passes away or some kind of personal loss like that, but how do you see it in the broader sense? How does that show
1: up? Well, I'll tell you how it shows up in my bereavement groups. Um, I've heard this a lot. Um, I I have some bereavement groups that um, mostly have people in it who have lost long-term partners Mm -hmm. or spouses. And I've also done young adult bereavement groups for people who have lost parents. And one of the ways it shows up is I'm so grateful to have spent so much of my life with someone I loved and I miss him terribly. Or I miss her terribly. So grief and gratitude often go hand in hand. We're grateful for things we love. And when we lose them, that gratitude doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. We still feel the grief and the gratitude for having had it and having lost it. Yeah.
0: Something I'm really struck with in these times, many people have commented on this, it's not original, but uh, that we really are recognizing what is most important to us, and, and it puts rather a sharp point on that when it's not available.
1: Yeah, it. it um, I think that um, there's a pervasive grief in our culture that we probably all feel for a fear of losing our life as we've known it, that somehow things aren't going to come back the way they were. They're going to come back differently. And I don't know qualitatively what that is, but it's going to be different. And life as we knew it is is not coming back. And and that's a grief. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'd love to delve into that more with you, but I, I just want to explore this a little bit further and and ask, is there a difference between things that we choose versus what we, at least on the surface, don't choose? So for example, if you, if you move or you decide to uh, close a company, there's grief involved in that, but those are choices that we've made versus
1: something that happens over which we think we didn't have any control. That's a really interesting question. Uh, That's a question I have not been asked, but (laughs) as you say it, I think anything that hits us as a surprise carries a different quality of grief because with it comes a complete lack of control. You know, when, when we anticipate a move or we plan for something that we're gonna lose or relinquish or let go, we may feel an anticipatory grief where, which is the kind of grief that people who are caregiving someone who gets a diagnose a, a terrible diagnosis of cancer, that's inevitably going to end up with a loss or anticipatory grief might be taking care of a parent that has dementia that, you know, is going to die, that kind of thing. And I think that grief is different than the grief that knocks your socks off mm-hmm. um, because it, the the grief that knocks your socks off can really challenge your assumptive world, and it can be more of a trauma um, yeah. to the system than something that's anticipated, t- anticipated and planned for. And although having said that, I want to say that when someone dies, even though you've been anticipating the death, it's still a shock. Sure, but it's a different shock than, say, the losses that were generated by the arrival of COVID that seemed to me to be abrupt. I I remember I was in North Carolina on March 1st and on March 8th, I wouldn't have thought of getting on a plane. It it just seemed like my life changed and all of our work went virtual within days. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's different. It's really, it's a very interesting question you're asking me, but I think that's my answer.
0: yeah, I mean that unexpected element is unexpected in terms of having a grief response. I think maybe uh, at least that's how I understood what you said is being part of that. I mean, I, I know for me, I've had several companies. i'm am I'm a serial entrepreneur, and one of my companies, just no matter what I tried, it just uh, the approach I initially took just was not working. and i I eventually, changed my approach but there was grief around having to do that and it surprised me and um, it took some processing of that to kind of be able to move on and and get on with the work that i was doing so um
1: no i think ursula what you're saying is really interesting because i think what we're talking about here is dialectic thinking where Hmm. two things can be simultaneously true right you can wanna move or you can wanna sell a company or leave your work and you can also feel grief. And I think sometimes what happens is people say, how can I feel sorry? I planned this, this is what I wanted. <laughs> right. But our, our, one of the things that's that's I think important is to be able to hold contradictory feelings at the same time and give them both validity. Hmm. Because yeah. we, we can feel loss and relief at the same time. We can feel gratitude and anger at the same time. We can, mm-hmm. you know, we're not unifeeling. <laughs> I, just, I just made that word up. <laughs> a New turn to be coined. <laughs> no, but it's I true. That's part of what will increase people's capacity to recognize that what they're going through is a grief even though they may not have lost a person or a job or a loved one or whatever we can yeah. still feel grief. It seems yeah. to me it permeates the culture right now.
0: Hmm. So what effect do you think that'll have on us? I'm I'm just exploring that. You said it a couple of times that you think it really permeates the culture. And tell tell me what your thoughts are around how this might affect us in the longer term.
1: I'm hoping that the grief and loss that gets generated well, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of levels. It's not only COVID. It's all the tendrils that COVID has that that touches so many aspects of our life. I mean, it's a disease, but, but it's it's also the way our work life has changed. Our family relationships have become fractured. What it's exposed uh, around race and health disparities. Mm-hmm. What I'm hoping is that grief or the shared suffering of humanity will be a point of joining for people and and not, it'll be a bridge. It'll be a way people connect that the legitimacy of feeling this kind of loss and sorrow for so much will be a common bond between people.
0: Mm. And
1: it will leave people feeling less isolated and more connected. I mean, one of the things that the premises in the book is that grief is an expression of loss. Oh, I'm sorry. Grief is an expression of love. Mm-hmm. Um, when we've lost something and we have no place for that love to go.
0: yeah.
1: And given that, it's important, I think, to acknowledge grief when we feel it and we can recognize the various presentations. It has as many presentations really as there are people who grieve. Everybody comes into this differently, but to be able to name it and tend it um, is really something that joins us as human beings. Yeah. Because when it comes out sideways, as you were saying earlier, which is so common in anger, irritability, impatience, rage, it it does harm. When mm-hmm. we can be tender towards the, the grief we carry, it joins one heart to another.
0: Mm, yeah, so true. Well, I, I think wonder too if if uh, if grief is love looking for a place to go. I'm, I love that. That's what Jamie um,
1: Anderson says. Yes. Yeah then um,
0: is that uh, perhaps gives people, th- by thinking of it that way, it gives you an opening to find somewhere for that love to go rather yes. than having yes. to be uh, reactive and, and just yes. kind of spew it out. So
1: just even putting language to people's experience yeah. is a gift. You know, um, one of the things I remember, i just tell you this little incident I had in one of my bereavement groups, someone had lost their long-term spouse and she was talking about some of the losses that went with it, that she, her friendship network had changed. She had to drop her job because she had to take care of her partner. Um, she, her economic stability had changed. And one of the words, the word in the literature for that is secondary loss. And sometimes the losses that accompany a primary loss are greater in impact. They're not secondary in impact. They're just secondary to the primary. But sometimes the impact of the secondary losses is even larger than the loss of the person. And when I said that to her, she was palpably relieved. She said, there's a word for that? I thought I was the only one, (laughs) she said. And, And so I think part of what I love about this work is lessening people's loneliness around what they're feeling, giving it a name, and urging them to tend to it.
0: Yeah. And acknowledging it, as you said, so important. I mean, I think of, you know, an entrepreneur scenario where they a lot of people have had to make major pivots in their businesses. And it Ooh. it shifts your perspective on things in so many ways. It may shift your economic situation. It may shift your ability to keep people hired. All of
1: you know, That's all right. kinds of
0: things go along with that.
1: And it certainly but, changes relationships.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to go into that a bit further, I mean, those feelings of grief and loss, they're pretty uncomfortable. Um, I'll just come out and say that. And not everybody is able to get past the being overwhelmed by that and, and uh, may want to run away from them. And what's the cost of not acknowledging grief?
1: You know, you know there's a, there's a, a saying What we resist will persist. Mm. And I think one of the things that's happened with COVID is that people are feeling losses that they had earlier in their life and not understanding why they're emerging now. So that in the face of the losses that COVID has brought, it's brought up old griefs that were never grieved. And the cost of it, grief doesn't go away if you don't work with it it will come out sideways. You'll overeat, you'll overexercise. You may feel lethargic and depressed. You might feel anxious. You may not be able to concentrate, but it doesn't disappear. Mm -hmm. It just will emerge at another point. So it's really important to the extent we can is to be with and create time to be with and tend to our grief. And I think one of the the things about the book is that each chapter is intended to be a resource to help somebody hold grief and feel less alone in their grief. Hmm.
0: Well, and you also talk about how uh, this process, it's not a hard and fast thing that Kubler-Ross did some really uh, early work in that, and I, and I think a lot of people sort of adopted it as here are the five steps I'm going to go through, and and they right. kind of look for I'm not doing it right. Um, and in fact, grief will only, as you said in the book, will last as long as it lasts, and you go through what you go through. Can you tell us more about that, and and how people's experiences are so varied? <sighs>
1: Yeah. Um, Kubler-Ross's work was wonderful, but it was never intended to be laid over people who were grieving. It was intended to describe the processes people go through as they're dying, and it got overlaid. And I think one of the things that really motivated me to write the book is the fact that people would come into my grieving groups and say, I thought I was at the second stage, and now I'm back to the beginning. Or yeah. I really lost it and I thought I was doing so well and I was almost at acceptance. And I think part of what's happened is it's become a roadmap that's gotten, that people have compared themselves to and invariably come up feeling either ashamed or that they're not doing it right. Mm. And there's a there was a great article in the Boston Globe a few years ago written by Joan Wickersham and she describes herself as being at a party and she meets a woman who lost her husband four years ago. And every time she meets somebody at the party, she talks about the fact that her husband died four years ago. She references it. And there's another person at the party who's just remarried after losing their spouse for a year. And the some the summary paragraph in this article is both of these people are grieving. These are two different faces of grief. Uh-huh. And I love that because yeah. it, it it normalizes the spectrum with which people... Um, feel their feelings and hold them and, and deal with them. Hmm.
0: You talk about grief as a, a sacred passage and not only are we taken away from the life we knew, we're also not the person we were. Um, and I'd, I'd love to, you talk about this in the book, I'd love to hear you share more about that.
1: Um, I I think that uh allowing yourself to fully grieve uh, moves us in moves us towards fully loving that 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 love and grief are very similar um repeat the second part of that question if you don't mind sure yeah
0: I was really asking about two different things I suppose that um not only are you now separate from the life you had, so the way you things evolve, but you're also changed. you've changed as a person as a result of that grief experience. Uh,
1: that's right. I think um uh, most people go through a pretty major identity crisis hmm. um if they lose somebody that they've loved but i've I've also seen this. Uh, I know someone who Actually, I know a couple of people who had to close their business that they owned these businesses and they had to close the, the building and sold all the furniture and their business and everything. Hmm. And it results in a pretty major identity change that when you lose something that's really central in your life, whether it's your work or someone you love, you you lose a role that you played and you have to reinvent your life in a certain way without that thing being the defining, Characteristics. So, I mean, a lot of times for caregivers, it's it's occupied so much of their life. If especially if it's been a gradual process, like most of my experiences working with people with cancer, who where it takes weeks, years, months for someone to die, um, and so that's a that becomes like a half time job for many people. But when you've had to close a business because of COVID, your identity as that worker or that CEO or that whatever your role was is abolished. And many of us define ourselves by our work. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a critical part of our identity. So re reconfiguring our life is a big piece of work.
0: Yeah. I I think it might be even more so for entrepreneurs who kind of put their heart and soul into a business and, um, but yes. you know it's really not limited to entrepreneurs for sure
1: my son-in-law was an entrepreneur and i watched him close his business he had a very successful business and it's gone now and now he's trying to find something else to throw his energy into yeah it's very difficult hmm. it's, it's a huge loss and it's not one that's really you know i think one of the things that i think i want to mention here is that there are a lot of losses in our culture that are what we call disenfranchised losses they're not culturally sanctioned. There's no ritual for them. There's no gathering for them. So you close your business and no one says, oh, let's get together and talk about what that meant to you and what it's been like. There's no, there's yeah. no form for that.
0: That's true. There's and no I bereavement
1: think, group for that. <laughs> there's no bereavement group. It's, it's what I call these disenfranchised losses. A pet loss is another one that's a disenfranchised loss, a common mm-hmm. one. But what happens is that these losses become invisible and solitary and lonely, because people don't, there's no public sanction of this kind of a thing. Right. And it's huge when it happens.
0: Yeah, it's it's so true. That's a great example to have both of those. Um, I, something else that you that's kind of surprised me in the book is you kind of just to turn the perspective a little bit, you you say, Carry your grief with a little more lightness, and you you talk about joy and um, you give a quote on the last day of the world, I would want to plant a tree by w s merwin mm-hmm. what What role does do those things have in moving through grief?
1: Um, oh, finding moments of joy is really important because that and and gratitude is really important. Because it, we have to titrate our grief. You know, Stephen Levine, who's written a a bunch of books on death and dying, says looking at at loss or looking at grief or death is like looking at the sun. We look, we turn away. We look, we turn away. If we stare at it, we'll burn our eyes. And I love that metaphor Mm -hmm. that we have to titrate sorrow, we have to titrate grief, and we have to mix it in with practices of gratitude or, or moments of joy, finding lightness so that we can hold the, the sorrow. I mean, there's a lot of research about the importance of having a gratitude practice. In fact, actually in businesses, I'll tell you one example, which might be of interest to you. At University of North Carolina, they had a gratitude uh, research project where they asked doctors to keep a gratitude journal for a protracted period of time. And what they found out was that there were less medical errors. Uh There was more pro-social behavior between the docs and people slept better. So you, Uh you might say, well, why would you want to have a gratitude practice in the midst of grief? The main reason is that having a gratitude practice increases our resilience and our, our capacity to hold our sorrow. So it, it has a very positive impact. And even though you may not be feeling grateful, if you commit to keeping a gratitude journal, you start to look for what's right. The mind is, the, our minds are, neg, are hardwired to be negatively habituated. And that's not a bad thing because it's what's allowed us to survive, but it also undermines our strength. And so we can pay, if we can pay equal attention to what's right alongside what's wrong, not at the expense of what's wrong, but alongside, we can really strengthen our ability to hold grief and allow it to connect us to more people with more ease. Mm
0: -hmm. Related to that, um, I mean, you just spoke about um, being able to focus on other things, being grateful for things, building resilience and capacity. You also talk about transforming suffering into purpose. And I think so much this work of impact that I do with clients is around taking something that has happened to them at some point in their lives and turning it into a focus for them to not only grow as a person, but also contribute something in the world
1: Yes. So uh, yes, I, I, I love this question. <laughs> this is something I love. The word, when, when we're passionate about something, whether it's a cause or um, our work, it's often the word passion has as its derivation, the word suffering. So mostly we are passionate about things or areas in which we've suffered. So if you think about Uh, for instance, uh, Matthew Shepard's parents after this gay man was killed um, have been behind a a hate crime bill. They sponsored a hate crime bill, which was Mm -hmm. very successful. I have a friend whose husband was killed in 9-11. And the night before she had learned she was pregnant. And Uh, she has started an organization in the Boston area called the Wellness Center, which is nothing but a grief center. So when we know something about suffering from the inside out, we're often passionate because we don't want other people to suffer as we have. Mm. And that's what drives the work. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And it's what people come to. It's not something when you're first in the throes of grief that you're gonna be thinking about, but it's often a way people make meaning of their own suffering. Mm by trying to alleviate the suffering of others and creating something in memory of or in the service of the person or the thing that they've lost.
0: Hmm. Well, it's part of the sacred passage. It's transformational yeah. in some way.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: Well, to get to some um, practical things that we can do when we're moving through grief as all of us are now, um, what are some things that that people can do to really help um, move through the feelings, hold them and, and not run, run away when they uh, feel overwhelming. Well,
1: the, the first thing I would say, and, and I say this because there's so many models of grief that I think people diminish themselves in the face of. The first thing I would say is to treat whatever feeling you have with kindness, to be kind to yourself Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I would say. Secondly, I I think the natural world offers a wonderful respite um, for us in our grief. We often see the cycles of nature, which also are akin to our own emotional cycles often, but also being in the natural world as uh, Stephen and Rachel Kaplan say, give us provide restorative environments for us. So many of us are behind the computer much of the day and our eyes are focused and we're thinking and our eyes are tight when we're looking and when we go out into nature there's a way that the whole system can relax and all we have to do is receive what we're seeing so the natural world offers a wonderful balm, i think um, for the system um, and for our psyche and our hearts um, writing has proven journal writing has proven um, there's a lot of emerging research James Penny Baker has really spearheaded this that when we write for three to four times a week for up to six weeks our immune system is improved our depression lessens, and our anxiety lessens. and th- the details of how to do that are actually in the book but I would say journal writing is a, a wonderful form. It forces us to create, a, to describe and create a structure and organize an event. They could sometimes just be overwhelming. And when an event is overwhelming for us, we tend to ruminate about it. And we go, we go over and over and over. And how can we have done it differently? And the act of writing helps put some structure onto this and helps and can help us make meaning of it. Sure. So that's... Um, Those are a couple of things. Um, Also an art uh, and not thinking of yourself as an artist, but sometimes just allowing yourself to play with an art medium or music or cooking or something that's creative. Um, And art has, I think of art as a broad umbrella for many things, but allowing ourselves to let the right side of our brain come forward and express what's there often um, brings little surprises to us because most of us live in the left side of our mind Mm -hmm. brain and not the right, unless we're an artist. And sometimes we can find some unexpected surprises there. Yeah. So those are some of the ways that I think about this. Yeah.
0: Well, certainly, in the I'm, I co-lead a community choir, and we can't do our usual four-part acapella because we can't be in the same room together. And Zoom is too a little; the internet is a little too asynchronous to let us do that. But uh, reliably, people show up every single week for our, you know, sort of as much as we can do kind of gathering. And so, I think that really speaks to how it's helping people cope with uh, the small losses that we're we're all experiencing well,
1: actually that's one of the chapters i'm glad you mentioned this is the, is accessing community in whatever way you can yeah. is h- a huge resource <laughs> huge <laughs> yeah <laughs> and absolutely. yeah evidenced by what you just said yeah, yeah. well
0: claire i always um um Before I I end things with the the rapid round of of questions about impact, I I wanted to reflect something back that you wrote in the book that I just found so heart opening and that is, um, I'll just read what you wrote, what if we were to allow grief to wash over us and change us and let ourselves open and be fully here in the only life that's ours to live. I love that. Mm. Yeah. It's really about welcoming the life that's
1: yours. That's right. And when we do that, our capacity to love just becomes boundless. Mm. Because we're more connected both to ourselves and we're more connected to other people. Yeah, I mean, this idea of, I mean, one of the things that I hear in my bereavement groups a lot is I would only say this in here because I know you'll understand. And that makes me really sad that there aren't ways for us to make our feelings more commonly acceptable in the larger world, that people have to come to a group to feel seen and heard. makes me sad, especially when they've lost some, they have a loss that's so overt Hmm. um, as the loss of a longtime spouse. Yeah. We're not a, a culture that's comfortable with grief, right? And I, I hope that that's one of the things that comes out of COVID. You know that it gets more normalized and more acceptable.
0: Yeah, I mean, we are a culture that tends to want to gloss over difficult suck feelings. It up.
1: Yeah, suck that's it right. up, get on, get to work as soon as you can. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And it just, uh, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. You can't it turn it on either. and off. Yeah.
1: That's so right. So true.
0: Well, Claire, as I, um, as I mentioned, I always ask three questions at the end of each of these interviews regarding impact. And uh, would you be willing to answer those? Sure. Great.
1: I'll try. <laughs> All
0: right. So the first one is what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact?
1: Um, I think knowing my audience Hmm. and being able to meet them where they are and not where I want them to be. Mm. And those are often disparate. Yes. (laughs) So knowing with whom I'm talking and that allows me to find the best bridge to reach them.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's not only a a good... Um, approach for work, but it's a great approach for connection and community as well. Yeah, so, yeah,
1: which is work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is.
1: Right, <laughs> it's true.
0: You're very, you're very true. So, what's one thing you've consistent, consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most?
1: Um, I think uh, my work got. The best after I almost died from pulmonary emboli. Oh, wow. And it resulted in a complete re-prior- re-prior- reprioritizing of my life. And um, I got passionate about what I did. And um, I don't take one day for granted. <laughs> mm-hmm and I think um i I was working uh from the inside out, I was working right from the passion of my heart for this life and wanting the lives of other people to be as easy as possible before they died, which is why I work with people with cancer, yeah, but it was it was it was a health crisis huh. that really turned me around, yeah.
0: And sometimes a dramatic event is is uh, nothing like the, a
1: dramatic the event. catalyst.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: we have it. We have it in our culture right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is that? I know that you're also a, a lay um, uh, Buddhist chaplain, and is that something that came about because of that health crisis, or is that something
1: that? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. Yes, yes, it did indirectly because. Huh. Um, I wanted to acquaint myself and become more fearless in the face of death. Mm. And um, so I went through this program about basically called contemplative practices for being with dying. And I I drew myself to people who were dying and who were very sick or living with life-threatening illness. And um, yes, it came out of coming up to the edge in myself. Yeah, you're thinking this is where this is where the rubber hits the road for me. Mm-hmm. This is where I remember what's essential. It's it keeps me focused on what's most important and diminishes some of the frivolity of my life. Now I've been told by many people, "Oh, you're so intense." So <laughs> <laughs> I, I finally found a place where that intensity is welcome. Right, but it's not for every, it's not for everybody. Sure. And I know how to have a good time as well as anybody too. So to me, uh, your capacity to grieve and your capacity for joy are completely connected. Mm, You know, can you play the whole piano or are you hovering around middle C?
0: Right. Yeah, I love that analogy.
1: That's a life force that's going to be compressed. Yes. And it will never find full expression.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and grief is part of our life force as well. It's just yeah. something else
1: we move through. So That's right. Yeah. That's right.
0: Well, the last question I wanted to ask was, if you were to to offer advice or provide a piece of insight to someone who's saying, how can I have impact in the world? What would you say to them?
1: Do what you most love. Hmm. And it'll just come. If your goal is to have impact, it probably won't happen. If your goal is to do what you love, you'll probably have impact. Mm. Oh, wow. That's great. (laughs)
0: It's all about where it's focused.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's about the source. Yeah. You know, if it's coming from ego, like I want to be big and famous, that's going to be different work than someone who's driven by, uh, humanity, some kind of humanitarian reasons or some kind of suffering that they've known that they want to help other people avoid. You know, it's just a different source.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Claire, thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. I think this exploration of grief is so important, especially right now, but always as part of the, the range of emotions that we experience. The more you can embrace that, the more you can be in the life that you have. So I, I really appreciate you being here to talk about that and bring that all to our... Well,
1: uh, I love your questions and, and thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> Great. My pleasure.
1: Yeah. If
0: uh, people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you and where can they buy your book?
1: You should be able to buy my book at, at a local bookstore or order it. I mean, I what I usually say to people is buy locally. Our bookstores need support so badly. Yes. Buy locally and review on Amazon. <laughs> Great. But it's on Amazon, and probably most people will end up going there. But just don't forget your local bookstore. And um, if you want to be in touch, um, you can find me at openingtogrief.com. Um, that's my website.
0: Great. I love that. Buy locally and review on Amazon. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Claire, thank you so much for being here and for the work you're doing in the world.
1: Thank you for the work you're doing, too. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Okay. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy Podcast on your favorite podcast app or or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.